apparently James has a photo shoot afterwards, and so doesn't he look good? Good morning. Am I turned on? There we go. Uh, oh, there's only one Jim Baker. Uh, I just want to commend the praise and worship team. Weren't they wonderful? Uh, I felt like I was back in Ireland. We, we lived in England for a few years, and uh, I ministered quite a lot in Ireland and Wales and the whole British Isles. And uh, I especially, I mean, you all were great, but the young lady that was the violinist, I mean, wow. I just recently, just recently, I'm an adoptive uh, child. I was abandoned at about two and a half years of age, and I was adopted. And uh, my adoptive parents knew my biological mother, but I didn't know who my father was, and so we sent off to Ancestry.com. And lo and behold... My first cousin um, contacted us biologically, and her dad's brother, they're 100% sure that he was my father. And uh, he's now gone. But he, um, he made a, a living being a violinist. Actually, they called them fiddlers in honky-tonk country western and a man mandolin player you know this i entertainment it's 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 in the genes it's in the genes okay i mean you know and um, it, it was just startling because on my biological mom's side um they lived in southern germany though she was not german uh near the bavarian alps uh, they were, her family were Celtic, uh, they call them Celtic barbarian Gauls, okay? So on my mom's side, Celtic barbarian Gaul, Norwegian, and then a little bit of percentage of Turkman, because uh, Galatia, you know, the Bible speaks about Galatia, and Paul speaks about the barbarians, that we need to reach them. He's talking about the Galatia region of modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor. I've got a marker there. And then, strangely, my biological father on his side, he is 100% Celtic barbarian Gaul, all up in the northern region, west northern region of Scotland, you know, uh, Ireland, Scotland, uh, Northern Wales, uh, island, uh, the island of Scotland was called the Island of Gaul in Julius Caesar's day. So on both sides, I'm just a barbarian heathen. And so my wife said, boy, that explains everything to me. It's just, it's, it's interesting, but I just loved it because it just kind of, I shut my eyes and I said, you know, possibly maybe my dad played in that manner, but she played in the spirit, of course, you know, and uh, I'm sure, you know, just much better than he. But um, 
anyway, it was just fun. You know, it was just fun to think about that. And it, wasn't it wonderful? It's awesome to see young people baptized in water. Amen? The only thing I was disappointed in was Pastor Jim did not get up there and baptize. I wanted to see his legs, you know, but I just, you know, I, I'm sorry, you know. Anyway, but it was wonderful to see that it reminded me when I was 15 and a half and I was one of those Jesus freaks that in 1971, in the early summer, uh, the late Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, you can go on YouTube and see this, that at uh, an area in Southern California called uh, Corona Del Mar, uh, they had a great, the first, it, it was unknown in American history, of close to 2,000 grungy hippies getting baptized in water by Chuck Smith. And it took eight and a half hours. And if you look up at the top left corner, I'm up there. And I was 15 and a half. But I, I couldn't wait around eight hours. So later on, I got baptized in water at a, you know, other, a more suitable time in my view. But it was just a tremendous um, I, every time, again, I see someone baptized in water, it reminds me of those days and that era where just the Spirit of God fell upon people that the traditional Pentecostal individuals never even dreamed that God could reach them. And God did. And a lot of those young men and women that were baptized in the Pacific Ocean, many of them went into full-time ministry and pastored churches, et cetera, et cetera missionaries, et cetera. But as far as I know, I am, I, and I may be wrong in this, but I've researched it somewhat, but uh, I'm possibly at least out of the original group of 125 to 150, I was part of that original group. I'm the only one that's traveling from that era. So uh, there's some that are still, you know, pastoring, and it's wonderful, and they do missions works and things of that nature. But um, it was just an awesome time. But you know what? I don't live in the past. I live in the present. I look in the immediate future, and what God wants us to move into. Amen? That's going to be exciting. Uh, one of the most difficult books that I have ever written is all of 86 pages. And the reason why it was so difficult was because the Lord just impressed upon me to write a booklet, and it's for Christians, though unsaved people are reading it as well, called Statement of Faith. What every person in Jesus Christ should believe. Could you imagine me squeezing as much as possible in 86 pages? That's what it made, that's what, why it made it so difficult because I just had to labor paragraph upon paragraph, and my son as well editing it, just uh, trying to just make sure that, you know, we're correct prayerfully in our theology. And uh, that it will help individuals 
to uh, be firmly convinced and convicted upon any teaching that they may hear or any manifestation that there would possibly be a booklet that they could you know, place with their Bible. And if they're listening to something, it doesn't just quite sound right that there is some aspect in this booklet you can go to and compare it. And I mean, it's filled, of course, with scriptural references and this and that. And it's fun to read. It's easy. Trust me, it's not theologically, you know, so above, well, it would have been above my own, you know, abilities to comprehend. It's uh, for every believer. And I have signed this book, and I want to give it away to someone that if they promise me they will read it, they can have it. And there's others back there on the table, and I don't see anyone coming up here and rushing to get the Well, okay, there you go. Well, you know, you just got to twist people's arms, don't you? Listen, I just want to say how much I appreciate that uh, Pastor Baker felt led to come to these series of meetings. <laughs> I, I so appreciate him so very, very much. He and his lo lovely wife and the leadership, thank you. Thank you for your hospitality. Thank you for your giving into this ministry. And uh, just we... Just honor you. You're you, really you are like family. But uh, you know, every time I say that, I hear people say, "Move up here, move up here." You know, I've said this before here. I said, "Well, give me a reason." <laughs> By that house, I may consider it. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm being facetious. Uh, you know, he called them my assistants and. Um, Rightfully, they do assist, but they are associates, Robert Ward and Brandon Collins, and I have two or three other associates that travel with me literally all over the world, but prior to meeting uh, myself and my wife, they, Robert, has gone all over the world. They have their own respective, very powerful, dynamic ministries. Brandon was a student of mine at Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas. Um, he wasn't as brash and arrogant as your pastor, but uh, he, he, um, he was very teachable, and, and he and his wife, and I know Jim was as well, but, you know, he um, uh, just, I don't know, you know, our hearts were knit together. He and his wife, he's got a lovely family, and uh, he's had extensive experience in youth ministry over the years. And he's also in the business arena of life. And that is a ministry expression powerfully. But now he is just, you know, we've reconnected and God is opening up the door for him to have more flexibility of time to travel. He just returned from India. We have another associate 
uh, Rob Murdoch, who uh, lives in West Virginia, and they just got back from India, which I said, Rob, and Rob's the evangelist of our associates. You know, he wants to go to India and Pakistan and, you know, all of those places that I used to in my younger years. So I leave it up to them. So Brandon came back gloriously ruined. Hallelujah. And uh, he is a tremendous and has been a blessing to my wife and my family over the years. He lives near us in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, God has just graciously, gracious, graciously anointed him. And he's got a unique uh, understanding of the importance of the local church, and particularly young people and the youth. But God, of course, has expanded his ministry in so many ways, particularly in healing and the supernatural. He is a, uh, a generational young man that his parents were uh, graduates of Rama. Bible College in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he just has that foundation. Robert's family as well just love the Lord with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They have now gone on to be with the Lord. So these men are seasoned, and I want Brandon to come up and greet you. So why don't you welcome Brandon Collins. Good morning. You can be seated, please. <laughs> um, it's an honor to be here. You, you know, your pastors have been wonderful, gracious to us, and we, we thank you for that. You know, uh, Robert and I uh, love traveling. Uh, I, were you, did you get to hear Robert last night, anybody? So he was married six months ago, and his wife graciously lets him out. So I've been married 23 years. And my wife's like, aren't you going out with Dr. Money this weekend? <laughs> well, why don't you call him up and see if he, if he needs any help? So that's the difference of 20, 23 years being married. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, got, I have a wife. I've got two children, two dogs now. Uh, and like Dr. Maloney said, you know, when you're young, you know, parents, take your children to every event that you can where God's moving because it marks them. And I, I can remember as a kid being in meetings where, uh, you know, Kenneth Hagin is up preaching and he's like calling people out. And I saw this guy with his arm. He had like, um, you know, it was short. There was probably about an inch or so. And as you're praying, you start to see this hand go up and, you know, you're like, wow, this is pretty neat. And so, you know, we had to live by faith growing up. My dad was a truck driver. My mom, you know, she stayed at home. So, you know, I remember her setting us down and saying, we don't have money for insurance. We just have to bleed by faith. And, you know, you're like, yes, let's do it. <clears throat> and so that created a foundation in me because I remember as a kid, you remember those little pains you get in your body? And you, they just come out of nowhere. And I remember going, Jesus, heal those. And then they would go away. And so you start developing that relationship. Well, how many know you get the virus? And that's another level of faith. And I remember going, Jesus, take that away. Nothing happened. I'm like, well, this doesn't work. And so, you know, I kind of um, had that foundation growing up, seeing God move and living by faith. And, you know, I saw miracles. Um, one time in eighth grade, I uh, was playing in football, and I hurt my leg. And my dad, I, he literally had to carry me. And as we're going to the car, <laughs> my mother's in the back praying in tongues. And I'm like, oh, mom, please. 
don't do that. And by the time we got to the hospital, I, I was like, it's gone. And I got up, and I remember thinking at the time, like, did that happen? Or, you know, you know your mind starts taking over. Maybe, maybe um, it was just, you know, at the time. And then I realized, like, the next week I was back on the field playing. And so, you know, there's things that happen in your life that mark you. And so take your children with you. Let them, you know, I remember uh, I used to crawl under the seats because I was one of those movers and shakers labeled a hyperactive kid. And uh, my dad, I remember he's driving home and he's like, what are you doing back there under the seat? You're embarrassing me. And I, he goes, you don't even know what the pastor said, do you? And he, it's funny, he tells me, he's like, I, he said, I said everything that the pastor said. And he's like, well, I guess I'll let him go play in the seats because he knew more than I did. And so take your children with you. I mean, include them. I was so blessed to see the kids up front, you know, dancing, being a part, getting, I mean, I was like wanting an Atari at 11 years old versus like wanting, you know, to be marked by God getting baptized. That's amazing. Sophia, wherever she is, that's awesome. But um, I do want to leave you with two things. One, I remember um, being in Dr. Mullen's class and he shared uh, this experience. And I'm sure you remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened was, he said that, you know, normally he prays for people, but he said it felt led of the Lord to pick this little girl up. And he just turned around, like his back was like this to the audience, and he was just facing, I don't know what was behind. But he said for 15 minutes he just held her. And the congregation began to weep. And I, don't, I forget what was wrong with her, but he... Cerebral palsy in advanced stage. Okay. And by the time he, he turned around and, and she was fully healed... And so, remember those things that you hear, because that helped me later on. Um, what happened, my son was playing football. One of his friends got hurt, and it actually dislocated his shoulder. And my wife took him home, and I just had this impromptu. I'm like, Caleb was with me and my son, and I said, let's go pray for him. And he's like, yes. And uh, so we drove over to the house, and I remember I walked in, and John's there. And you could see, I mean, his, his shoulder was like this. And I said, we've come to pray for it. And he's like, okay, whatever. And I remember praying, and that thought came to my mind about just waiting, you know, just giving God time. And I didn't feel anything, but I sensed whenever something would change. And literally like 10 minutes, his shoulder dropped all the way down. My son's there seeing it. Um, my wife, you know, she's calling the mother, telling her what happened, and then has to call her back and say, well, I guess he's okay. And it marked him because from then that point on, he called my son. He's like, I just hurt my foot. Can we have your dad pray for me? <laughs> and my son's like, he can't heal anybody. That was God. So it's true. We really don't have anything except unless God moves. But just know that whenever you see something, take hold of that. And when those thoughts come up, you know, step out by faith and just wait on God. And we, we just had another guy at church. We're help planning a church now, and we're on the prayer team. And it's hard when somebody comes up and they're limping and they're hurt, and there was nothing that the pastor said about healing, and then you've got to step out, right? And I remember this guy comes up, and he's like, I, you could tell he was visibly, it was like a sciatic nerve. And so my wife and I are praying for him, and nothing's happening. 
And I'm just like, well, let's wait on the Lord. And I start encouraging him and trying to build up his faith. Um, and then I just got behind him and I went, Jesus, help. <laughs> and I did that for like four minutes, just like, and then all of a sudden he started feeling something. And because I've traveled, Dr. Maloney, I've seen people that day, they get a little bit, and by the end of the week, they're totally healed. And so I encouraged him. I said, work with that. A month later, we saw him, and he was walking perfectly fine. And so I give God all the glory because the things that you learn in these services, you can take out into the world and implement them, and they will work. God will show up. So with that, I want to give it back to Dr. Maloney. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. His wife, uh, I think he attended firstly, and then his wife, or was it the other way around? You were first, and then your wife. I think it was in her session, or her year at Christ for the Nations, I taught on, for an entire semester, can you believe it, on the supernatural power evangelism, signs and wonders, the healing ministry of Jesus, and Throughout the whole classroom time, I would periodically stop and minister to the students. And then eventually, when there was enough foundation established in the life, then I would have them to pray for one another. That's how you activate them. And then at the very end, I would have um, a healing service, and I was permitted to uh, take usually I had about 350 students when all the other pastors had 10. That made me real popular <coughs> with the other professors. But um, they, uh, we, we would, we, they gave me the whole day, basically, you know, from 8 in the morning uh, to 1, you know, in the afternoon to whatever, to minister in healing. And... Uh, this, again, was at his wife's, I don't know, she, I'm sure she was there, uh, possibly, and I may be off a year, I don't know, but I'm making a point in this, and I remember standing up there, and this word came to me, and the Lord said, uh, call out everyone that has a deformity that they've had their entire lives, and this deformity has created such a wounding and a bruising and embarrassment. And I thought that, that was a very strange word of knowledge, but I was obedient, and approximately 32 students came forward. Now, when you looked at them physically, you, you could tell immediately what was wrong with them because everything was outward and visible, and they'd spent a lifetime being embarrassed and ashamed and taunted. and I know what it's like. I had my issues growing up as a kid. That's why I fought a lot in my upbringing, you see, because of the teasing, because I'd been, been so beaten profusely that there was a lot of, isn't that the irony? You know, when you're a kid, you got scars in your face. Now look at me now. It's just weird. I don't understand it. But... Um, so I uh, began to go down the line. I had another minister with me. My son was with me, assistant, and uh, it was quite remarkable. Uh, the first person's foot, left foot, was turned backwards, strangely, and they had to walk on crutches. 
and his foot shook. You heard snap, crackle, pop, and his foot swung back into place. And he began to run. Well, how many know that got the student's attention? Then there was another person whose chest cavity was to the right. Strange. Twisted. And, of course, that just wrecked havoc with the internal organs in his body. And so I had a minister friend of mine. He put his hand on his waist, both sides, and the whole chest, the diaphragm, just moved back into place. That really got the students excited. So we're going down the line. They're getting instantly healed. I mean, deformity upon deformity. I mean, just absolutely. Well, at the very last, there was a young lady, and she was a foreign, foreign student, I believe from Europe somewhere. And when you looked at her, your heart just went out to her because the entire left side of her face was, she was born this way, something happened in the womb, it, it was just horrific, like she had been in a horrible accident, and it was just all just torn up. Otherwise, she was a very beautiful young lady. She was about uh, 17, 18 years of age. All her life, all she ever wanted to be was a mom and have children. But she just knew that no one will ever want to marry me. This is her testimony, looking this way. I mean, it was hard to look at her. It was very difficult to look at her. But my heart went out. But there was a great depth of anointing. But when I got to this young lady, I, it was intensified like a hundredfold. I can't describe it to you. The whole right side of my shoulder began to burn. It actually became uncomfortable. And when I reached, my hand was trembling. When I reached out to the side of her face, she pulled back. And I knew immediately that, you know, she was in need more than just a physical healing. There was an emotional healing that needed, of course, to take place. So I reached out my hand a second time. When I did, God is my witness, no embellishment. I felt a person come up against my shoulder, place his shoulder and arm on top of mine and reached over me, which, you know, in the natural was kind of freaky. You know what I mean? Somebody, you know, is invading my space. You know, and just... <clears throat> But then I looked, and here this person had a white robe, and I could see on the back where there was a hole. Ooh, please invade my space. <laughs> and this is a whole teaching in and of itself. I won't go into it. Uh, by the way, let me just say at the end of this message, uh, for those of you that could not have made it last night or the night before, and you want personal ministry, we'll take some time uh, after I dismiss all of you, and my associates and I will stand over here and we'll minister to you, okay? You know, I had so much fun watching my wife, Joy, get into it. You know, I mean, I'm 
you know, one, she's always ministered over the decades, but they're just so, you know what, not only is she so cute, you know, know, she married me. You want to know why she married me? Because, and this is just for Jim Baker, that uh, she always loved Tarzan. You remember Johnny Weissmiller? And he had this long thigh bone. She actually said to the Lord, Lord, the man I marry, I want him to be tall and have a long thigh bone. I can't believe I did that. I just cannot believe I just. That's why I wanted to see your legs. So I'm just, yes, invade my space. This is a whole nother message. And his hand laid on top of mine and it went into my hand. Oh, I could get into Romans 8, the manifestation of the sons of God, but I won't. And uh, he, uh, my hand became his, or his hand became mine. It's not like my hand disappeared. He was using my hand, but all it was was just a, a, you know, instrument of just him using, you know, it was fun. I really had nothing to do with it but just having my hand there. Oh, I could teach on that. And uh, when he put his hand in mine, the cheekbone, and she was just graphically just maimed, just horribly distorted. I mean, just, oh, terrible. I don't know what it was. Um, The bone structure in her cheekbone became like jelly. The bone, which was all deformed, just softened. And he, with my fingers, I'm just enjoying seeing him do it, outshining through me. And he began to massage that side of her face. And my fingers with his went into her face. The skin partially overlapped my fingers. And for five minutes, he just, like a master potterer, you know, Jeremiah 18, you know, the master potterer will take that marred piece of clay and mold it after his design and purpose, and he just began to massage her face. You talking about the depth of glory all the students began to sob. And their eyes were on this young lady they knew. And then after about five minutes, he pulled his hand away. And as my fingers were literally pulled out of her face, her cheekbone hardened. And the jawbone here hardened instantaneously. And I looked at her, and you could not find one trace of deformity. And he stayed and 
he went around me and got in front of me. And the young lady felt, listen to this, she felt the side of her face. And she began to shake, would you? And then she fell on her knees. And I I never heard such a gut-wrenching, just crying and wailing out in a, and I mean, all the hurt, all the wounds, everything. She began to sob, and I, and my eyes were not the only one that was open to this. Jesus was leaning over her. Now, you know, I should have just stayed away, you know, because this was a personal time that she was having with the Lord, but, um, you know, I'm nosy, so I had to kind of get in there, and, you know, I got, and the Lord permitted me. And this is what she said in her great sobbing. She said, Jesus, and I hope this will encourage many of you, you know, that you're walking out your healing or your miracle. There are times, like my associate said, yes, there's instantaneous, and then there's progressive operations of the Holy Spirit. She said this. She said, Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I have been asking for this miracle since I was five years of age. And that was the perfect timing for her to be healed because it was life-changing. Don't you think the lame man at the gate called beautiful? Don't you think Jesus passed by him quite a few hundred times? But it wasn't until Peter and John as they passed by, he was healed because it was the perfect timing. And that, of course, we all know that miracle opened up a tremendous move of the Spirit. And I'll elaborate on it in just a few moments. Possibly one of the greatest, purest times of revival that church has ever, church history has ever encountered or seen was in Acts chapter 2. And then Acts 3, when he was healed, that moved to Acts 4 and 5, when there was just an amazing further manifestation. It was just continually uh, was progressing. And here's the word I want you to hear. Everything that started in Acts 2 into 3, 4, and 5, everything that God did, it was retained It was contained. Nothing was lost. The momentum was not lost. And they went further in the things of the Lord. And uh, that young lady, she was so beautiful. And from that moment on, I had to call in at least six or seven young men into my office, sitting them down. They were lining up for her. And she's a mama. And has lots of babies. Hallelujah. And I'm sure the best mama in the whole world. That's what she felt her calling was, to just be a mama, and she never thought she would be. That's neat, isn't it? So it wasn't just the healing and the miracle that inspired, not only myself, gave me a tremendous lesson in faith, Everyone else, their eyes were open. This young lady, 
was dramatically, her life was transformed. But God only knows the impact of those miracles, particularly hers, in the lives of those young men and women, what they are accomplishing today in their respective lives and sphere of influence, if it's quote-unquote full-time ministry or in the business workplace. See, if there's anything that I could admonish you, and I'm just going to exhort for a few moments here. I know we'll get out right around approximately, you know, about 10 after 12, and then we'll stay here and minister. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm going to be in the school tonight. Is that correct? Yeah, my associates have to get on the plane, and my wife's got to leave as well because she got to go minister to the grandkids. <laughs> but know that I love you 45 years. <laughs> You're not going to remember anything else this weekend but that. horrible forgive me of course you all know me by now so you know it is if there's anything i can admonish you in it it is the father's hear this everyone come on worship him intense desire go ahead and say amen in advance amen. that humankind should fellowship with him as he wills and directs in a very supernatural, dynamic way. I love the word supernatural or the supernatural realm because it means that which is above the norm or that which is below earthly, sensual, and at times devilish. And uh, that's God's realm, isn't it? And we've got to have fellowship. We've got to have encounters spirit to spirit. And, and it's his desire to release this realm. And it's the realm it should be of every believer. Because, you know, inert in you or born within you is the desire. You crave. Listen, you and I, all humankind, they crave a touch of the supernatural. It's born within them. Did you hear that? Even though they are unsaved, they don't know Christ, there's something in them that longs to want to get in contact with something beyond, perfectly themselves and uh, touch the reality of who God is. Because God has embedded within them the curiosity for the miraculous, the supernatural. Sadly, the enemy has come in and thwarted that. And so, you know, they have this curiosity, but they go into incorrect, you know, realms. And we know, you know, this is the life that we live. But if you and I will just honor the Holy Spirit, and I know you do, and this church does, uh, you know what will happen? The supernatural that will be impressed upon us, it really will attract people. It will attract people, and it inspires people and inspires our faith. 
But you know, when human reasoning takes over, come on now, that's the problem in the church today. It's all head-driven, mind-driven. I'm not against having a strong mind, but it needs to be in subjection to our spirit man where the Holy Spirit lives. And it needs to be continually renewed as you've all been taught. But if reasoning, and this is the problem, has taken over, you know what's going to happen? And this is what's happened. Christianity will lose its vitality, its romance, its attraction to people, its fascination. It'll lose its fruitfulness. But I want to encourage you, if you were here this weekend, that the voice of the supernatural is being heard once again in our midst. And when I had the angelic encounter, this is what the angel told me two days after I was here, March 11th of 2017. He said, there will be an acceleration in the supernatural and there will be a people that will walk, everybody look at me, in kingship anointing. You know, in the Old Testament, the prophet was anointed to proclaim the word of the Lord. The priest was anointed to offer sacrifices on the behalf of God's people. But the king was anointed to rule and to reign. And Revelation 1, 6 says, we've all been called to be kings and priests. And in the measure that you minister unto the Lord as a priest and to one another is in the measure that you will rule and reign. And what's amazing, starting 2020, and there's an acceleration. This is what the angel said, acceleration in these things. Everything's being sped up. So the season or time that you've heard prophetically or envisioned where just great mass miracles will just break out spontaneously, let me tell you, it's sooner rather than later. I know it. Hallelujah. But right now, I'm, as a forerunner, proclaiming that and hopefully preparing your hearts for that appointed time. Now, God is always moving. How many know that? In an appointed time, in a great season, or out of season, you know, whatever. God's always moving. Praise God. But there are appointed times of harvest. We are being prepared for that. And it's coming sooner rather than later. So you need to hear this. Because this is why you've been in this. If this is your home church, this fellowship, you've been trained and you've been hopefully, and I know, equipped and activated and you're, you're sensing an anticipation. And I'm praying right now that a gift of faith will be infused in your spirit. This is, I've got to just utterly depend upon the Holy Spirit. To burn this upon the canvas of your heart, that, that, listen, the days of disappointment, discouragement, and disillusionment are coming to an end. Yeah. 
And this is what I want to admonish you in. If we will just familiarize ourselves and really press in with the Word and the Spirit. Amen? It's always the Word and the Spirit. Everybody say that with me. The Word and the Spirit. If you just teach about, you know, supernaturalism without the Word, how I many know oh, people can get fanatical and excessive? But if you just teach on the Word, the letter of the Word, and there's no moving of the Spirit, how I many know oh, we, we can just remain bound up? You know, it's all just the letter of the word, you know. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I love a, you know, I, I did not know I said that to your professors. Did I really say that? Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> that was the first that I've ever known that. Seriously, I thought I was being a gentleman. <laughs> but now I remember they were ticking me off because we're like this. You know, I, I, I like a challenge. <laughs> but I had another group of professors, you know, and they said, one, I'll, I'll never forget, one, one, the main spokesperson, stood up and said, you know the problem with you, Dr. Maloney, is that this is the problem with you and your ministry. I thought, the gall that that guy had to speak to this goal. <laughs> he said, the problem with you and your ministry is all you want to do is see results. <laughs> now, if there's a spirit of stupid in the world, it was in manifestation. So I just, I just was stunned. I said, define for me results. Well, all you want to do, they were just so pious. And they, they were just arrogant and gross and head-driven and everything, you know. Well, all you want to do is see people saved and healed and delivered. Uh... What else is there, uh, you know? And, and then they had the gall to say this. We, we've matured beyond that. Well, that kind of ticked me off. So I said, no, you really died. I, I, did, I did say that. So it doesn't surprise me. I, you know, confronted his professors. Uh, and then they'd throw the scripture at me. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, where's it at? 49, 39. Which one is? I don't know. Someone get the word of knowledge. I don't even have it written down here. Uh, for, I, I'll just say 14, 49, uh, 13, 49. 1 Corinthians 13, 49. Anyway. Y'all know how much I love PowerPoints. Uh, it says, let all things be done decently and in order. And it was funny because they, Maloney, they, now they weren't even calling me doctor. Maloney, it says, everything needs to be done decently and in order. And in your ministry, everything is out of order. 
and is indecent, decently and in order. So, you know what? You know, I I don't. Oh yes, yeah. No, that's not it. <laughs> Try forty nine. Fourteen forty nine. No, thirteen forty nine. Oh, 1440. Well, I was close. <laughs> I don't, this just came out. I said, you know the problem with you gentlemen? Nigga said, what? I said, you forgot the most important part of that verse. What's that? Let all things be done. You know, it's like when, when you just teach, everything's got to be done orderly, everything needs to be decently done. Now listen, Satan is disorderly. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying, okay? Where there's confusion, the Bible says there will be strife and pride. God is orderly. There is decency, order, and peace. But you know what? I remember they taught us it just caused my memory uh, to remember one of the teachers said let all things be done everybody say the word with me release, release. decently in order restraint. restraint say it again release, release. Restraint. restraint now if you just teach on restraint and don't have Life flowing, how many of you got to have something flowing, something happening for something to be ordered? And if you just teach restraint, you're just going to have a bunch of folks that are going to be bound up, they're going to be frustrated, they're going to be afraid to step out in faith and to be used. I'm not advocating wildfire, but what I'm trying to tell you is this. Too many precious pastors, and this is what I appreciate about the leadership of this church, but in many churches I've gone to, to there's too many pastors that they don't want to have to shepherd the supernatural because it's too risky, it's too difficult. Let's just keep everybody in the comfort zone, hello, stay in the comfort zone, and what it does is it inoculates people into experiencing a true manifestation of God. And you know what it does? It causes people to remain dumb. Hello? Deaf. Blind. And when Jesus said, you know, this crooked and perverse generation, you know, and uh, this, I, I believe there's a deaf, dumb, and blind spirit, generational spirit that's religious, and it's just anti-Christ, and it doesn't want you to get activated and released and freed up in the flow of the spirit because we're afraid and they always take the scripture out of context i'm not gonna quote it because i will miss it 
Try 1 Corinthians 13, 39. I, I don't know, somewhere around there. <laughs> Where Paul is, in, don't put it up there. Where Paul is admonishing, you know, if all of you just speak in tongues and someone that's unlearned comes in the back, they're going to think you're nuts. So immediately the theologians say it's, Incorrect to speak out loud in tongues in the public assembly or sing in the spirit because they're going to be, you know, thinking you're crazy. Uh, yes. Now, let me just preface about what I'm going to say by saying this. In my 47 years, 48 years to be involved, I've been in this since I was 17, I have yet to see any unsaved person get offended by a true manifestation of the Holy Spirit, if it was glossolalia or another gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have seen Pharisees get offended, but not unsaved people. But you know, a lot will come out in the back and say, these people are nuts. Paul, you got to read the proper context. He wasn't saying it was wrong to sing in tongues, pray out loud in tongues. When you do it corporately, it's wonderful. Amen? It brings us in the spirit of unity. But he did say this. He said, you know, you can't just stop there because there's going to be unlearned people. So you know what? He's saying, I hope that you get so released and activated and free in the Holy Spirit that you can move beyond just speaking in tongues and move into the realm of word of knowledge and word of wisdom so that this unsaved person in the back that thinks all of you are crazy, there will be people that will have the authority and boldness to go up to those people and reveal the thoughts and the intents of their hearts. And then at that time, then they will fall down on their knees and say, truly, God is in this place. But you know what happens? Is that we've got charismatic churches, yeah, singing the Spirit, praying in tongues. And there's, uh, when was the last time, I'm sure in this church you had it, I have in 30 years yet to see a church that I've gone to where they allow message tongues with the interpretation. We've got to get the spirit of prophecy moving on us. Because that's where the testimony of Jesus is. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is in the spirit of prophecy. I'm assured of that, Revelation 19.10. Precious people, listen, let me admonish you and finish up here. Everybody say to the person next to you, get ready. I can assure you, I can assure you, a river of anointing is coming. And all churches, they must be established in that river of anointing. 
The key is this, though. Yes, the river is coming, but what did people do in times past in churches where we look back and reflect? What did the people do when the river arrived? It's not just that the river of blessing or revival or anointing comes. It's the key is our response when it comes. Did you hear that? History is going to judge us on our response. Sadly, in 1904, God brought the quote-unquote first great awakening. Now, some would disagree with me. Pentecostally, they would say it was 500 years earlier under Martin Luther. Yes, that was an awakening, but I'm speaking charismatically in Pentecostal terms, 1904. <clears throat> Do you know how long it lasted? Four years. Why? Because the gentleman that God used was not a learned man, and yet he was just very anointed and his spiritual father, Charles Parham, he begged him from Texas, come out to Los Angeles, to Azusa here. We, we need your foundation. But Brother Parham was so caught up with what God was doing in Oklahoma and Texas, he, just, he finally arrived in 1908. By then, see, Brother Seymour, there were tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in California that were swept into the Azusa Street Revival. But what happened was because they didn't have proper teaching. Remember this, the Word, everybody say it with me, the Word and the Spirit. you got to have both, the Word and the Spirit. I'm an enigma to a lot of these people. I had a group of ministers say, well, I have a Master of Arts degree in theology. He assumed, because I'm charismatic and Pentecostal, that I just follow emotions and I don't have a brain. And then another one stood up and said, yes, I have two bachelor's degree in theology. I have a master's degree. <coughs> I think one stood and said, I got a doctor of divinity, so I, I got riled up. I said, I have a doctorate of divinity, a doctorate of theology, and a PhD. Mm. <laughs> I'm a sign that makes them wonder. I bug the heck out of them. They can't understand why I could be so studious, but, you know, just in all of this. That's why I appreciate... Jim and Mary, you know, because they're intellectual, yet they're spiritual, you see. I mean, there's that good word in the spirit balance. But the problem in Azusa was this brother Seymour, he just didn't have the education, begging for his spiritual father to come. He finally showed up in 08, but it was too late because all the spiritist, new age, people in divination, infiltrated the true move of the Spirit and got it all mixed up. And here, everybody look at me. This is what happened. They made Brother Seymour a millionaire. 
And that did it. He didn't want Brother Parham to come. Because I'm blessed. I'm wealthy. And it all got lost. That mixture, the holy and the profane. If we're not careful, we will face, and we are to a certain degree right now, a mixture in our ranks. It shocks me. The methodology that some supposed traveling mystic persons allow all in the name, I'm open to the third heaven. And they don't realize they've dipped their toe in the second heaven. And they're, they're, they actually teach there's no difference between the third heaven, God's realm, and the second heaven, the demonic realm. It's all the same thing. It's just what you, you know, attract and adapt to. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And, and then they came up to me a couple weeks ago and said, well, you're just of the old school. Yes, yes, I'm of the old school. Look, revival's coming. And I want everything to be done as the Holy Spirit wills and directs. And he's going to have a people. Come on now. That's going to have discernment. That's going to know the difference between the holy and the profane, the clean and the unclean. It's amazing how people have little discernment. This is not you. I'm speaking as a whole. Very little discernment. You know, listen. Listen to me. When someone, and I don't mean to be critical or judgmental, but when someone tells you, I constantly sit on the lap of God the Father and look in his pretty blue eyes. Get up, turn around, and walk out. No one has seen the Father. Neither his face nor his form. I've been there twice. I couldn't even look up. And who does these people think that they're so super spiritual that they can just at any time just flop on the lap of God the Father? No, it's one thing, Jesus, you can sit on his lap all you want. He's a human but yet divine person. But God the Father, a consuming fire... Read my book, Statement of Faith. Thank you very much. You will, won't you? <sighs> Revival's coming. But history has shown us that the river revived, or arrived, and we squandered it in its ab and aborted it in its infancy because we were ignorant of its purpose and you know, I, I've got people now that say, well, you know, if revival is inevitable, why should I change now? 
Because, you know, if it's 10 years from now, I mean, God, the Holy Spirit's going to move so radically and powerfully, it'll change me. So, you know, why should I change now? <coughs> because the only thing God has promised is that the river will come. But you know what? It's how we respond to it. Revival isn't just when the river comes. Revival, listen to this, it's the miracle of a right response. And you read in our text, Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God fell, I won't have you turn there, I mean 3,000 people were saved. You know the story in Acts 4, 5,000 people. The miracle of the first initial move of the Spirit was this. It was contained. It wasn't lost. There was proper uh, response. A community of believers were born. A community of believers that had all of the personality of Christ within them. I look back <coughs> in 1904, I think about 1968, in the great <coughs> charismatic awakening, the second great wave, and I see that in that second great wave, there has been many wonderful things that have been retained. But you know what? A lot of it has been lost. It's amazing how that, it's almost like in many respects, we've got to go back and reinvent the wheel and start all over again. <clears throat> and you find in church history that, relatively speaking, that there was just major moves of the Spirit that the people could not retain it and build on that platform and go higher. And then go higher. It's like it was lost. And then they had to start all over. God had to start all over. Let me tell you, you're the generation. That's not going to happen. You are the generation. You're going to build upon this old school man. And woman, she's not old. I'm old. You still love me, though, don't you? You're going to build on it. I said, you're going to build on it. And you're going to go higher. Because you are going to respond correctly. And here's the devil's deception as I close. All that matters is that the river arrives. How many know... The Bible says that when that great revival in Acts chapter 2 came, it says that they adhered to the admonition that God gave through the apostles, go into the center of town and share all that God has done for you. That's the key. You know, it, 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 listen, it's how we respond. Let me give you just um, a very quick illustration, and I'm closing. Uh, Luke's Gospel, you'll have to turn there, chapter 5, verse 4 and 6. You remember Peter? Jesus was out in the boat with him, and this is what Jesus said. Let down your nets. He wasn't catching fish. You remember all day? Let down your 
your nets. In the Greek, it's in the plural. But you know what happened? Peter let down just one net. In other words, he measured the blessing. When the river arrived, he didn't treat it correctly. My, it says in Luke 18.8 that Jesus stood looking at Jerusalem and wept over the city of Jerusalem because the city itself missed their day of visitation. I pray that's not the case for America. I want to say it again over here. You guys, you're asleep. I pray that we have not missed and squandered our day of visitation. Let me try it over here. I pray that we have not missed our day of visitation in America. Second Kings. We're going to pray right now. Second Kings. It says that. Where does it say it? I don't know. There it is. Chapter 25, verse 9 and 11. Listen, listen you, got, you got to hear this as I finish. You know, they were in idolatry, paganism, worshiping Baal, you know, or Baal, you know. And um, the prophet comes along and says, Thus saith the Lord, if you will repent and turn from your idolatry, you will be saved and you will be blessed. And so, you know what? All the people, all the Jews said, yes, God says we're going to be spared from Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. We're going to be blessed. Yes. But it's interesting that they only heard the promise, but not the conditions to the promise. So they just went around saying, we're not going to go into captivity. We're going to be blessed. Yes, that's what the prophet said. That's what the prophet said. Then Nebuchadnezzar comes down, sweeps down, and takes the vast majority of the Jews into captivity, you know, except a group here and a group there. It's interesting. The haughty, arrogant people in that day that had great wealth and prestige, they would build their house with a high, very tall ark so that they could literally ride their horse in so that the person that was the servant in their household, they could get off of their horse in their house and the horse, of course, would be unsaddled and taken to the stall. But the poor in spirit, not as wealthy people, humble people, you know, that just the way they built their homes was a small ark where in some case you almost had to, I would, I would have to bend down to get into their house. They were humble. Those were the ones that not just heard the promise, but the conditions. 
and they repented. When Nebuchadnezzar came down with his army, every one of the Jews that had the high, haughty, arrogant ark, all they had to do was just ride in and take the family captive. But all of the ones that had this short ark, they were spared being taken into captivity. Not every Jew was taken into captivity. Isn't that amazing? What is that saying to you and I? They were humble. They were repentant. God held true to his word. Those that truly repented, there was the condition, were spared going into captivity. God left pockets. Now, I'm going to put it in context with us here in America. God left pockets of his influence through his people. I call it pockets of revival. Revival here, revival there. Listen, if, if we don't properly throw down all our nets, we've got to contain what God has given us over the past 40, 50 years and build on it. Come on now. We need to properly respond. That's the miracle of a revival. It's the miracle of a right response. That when God comes down, he's welcomed. He's received with no apologies. I am a tongue talker. And I believe casting demons out of or off of Christians. No apologies. Don't be intimidated. If you're going to praise, praise with all of your heart. If you're going to dance, dance with all of your heart. If you're going to shout, shout. Because every demon, religious demon in hell, in the charismatic circles, is going to do one or two things. It's going to try to dumb you down, mute you, get you quiet, and sedate. All in the name that we got to be sensitive to the seekers out there. And that's where the charismatic church is going. Or it's the other extreme. My niece was taken to a church. Just a week ago, a Pentecostal church. <clears throat> and she wanted to just know more about Jesus. So what freaked her out, her 13-year-old mind, was that these charismatic Pentecostals were just, you know, I mean, they were, you know, I mean, they were acting nuts. That scared her. And they could tell that she was visiting. So they grabbed her, took her up on the platform, this precious little girl. All she wanted to know was more about Jesus. And they, for 30 minutes, slammed their hand on her forehead. Receive the Holy Ghost. Receive the Holy Ghost. Receive the Holy Ghost. Receive the Holy Ghost. Receive, and it just freaked her out. 
And finally, the person that brought her broke in and said, she doesn't need the Holy Spirit. She needs to receive Jesus. You know what the person said? What are you talking about? This brand of Pentecostalism does not believe you're truly born again unless you're speaking in tongues. Ugh. Fanaticism. Why can't we get a plumb line? You know, people are off bubble this way, all bound up, and then they go over here, and they're all off bubble this way. <gasps> you know, I'm going to right now. This is how anointed I am. This is actually happening. I'm going to disappear in front of you. And the minister takes a step, and he disappears on the platform. That's not uncommon. I saw that growing up among the witches. This is in charismatic pulpits. And now he's taking 20 and 30 young people up to some pink uh, world aliens. Everybody look at me. You listen to these leaders. Because if they get wacky, I'll whack them. <laughs> they won't. I'm open to everything that the Holy Spirit wants. But when the river comes, I don't want another 1908 or this mixture. I had a pastor in Minnesota. There's a gentleman, Charisma, named... Uh, what's the guy's name? My wife's gone. She's bored. What's his name at the back of the Charisma magazine? He does an article. Lee Grady. So the pastor invites Lee Grady and I. Now it was a setup. He said, you know, I'm already driving to his church in Lee Grady. And he said, I want you two gentlemen to please correct all of this nonsensical, fringy stuff. I'm thinking, oh, thanks a lot. Put it on Lee Grady and I. You coward. Because he, as a pastor, didn't want to get up there and address those issues because he'd lose half of his people. Harling. So he puts it, dumps it on Lee Grady and I. And boy, did we upgrade. So, you know, we're driving back to the airport. He said, thank you. And I'm thinking, you know what? You put the whammy on us, on us so that when people get angry, you can just say, well, that was Lee Grady, and I'm sorry, James Maloney. But really, you knew that you wanted us to address the fringy 
things and fringy aspects that people were bringing into your church. What a coward. I said, that's a cowardly spirit. We can raise up a standard. Come on now, worship him. We can have the spirit of God move. Come on, praise him. The river is coming, people. I'm telling you, there's accelerations. There's kingship authority. That's what the angel told me. It is now beginning to accelerate. Come on, hallelujah. I know the exact season of time when it will hit America. You want to know it, don't you? Everybody wants to know the time, the date. I love it. We pull out our prophet. Prophecy charge, you know, is it a three and a half year tribulation or seven year? <laughs> what does the seventh toe on the Antichrist represent? We've become spectators. We get all caught up in trying to figure things out when we're just missing the reality of extending the kingdom of God to the people in front of you. It's not that difficult. Jesus personally, face to face, told me to tell you, you set the example, Jim. This is your ministry. You minister exactly the way I ministered. Every person that stood in front of me was the most important person to me in my ministry. And I simply healed them. Then the next person, he wasn't concerned about Rome toppling the empire. He was concerned about people's welfare, their bodies, and their spirits. The river is coming. Have I found a people that there's going to be the miracle of not just the river, it's coming, but a right response? Because if this nation, if the people of God like you, the core group, does not properly respond when the river comes, you know what's going to happen? We'll just have a pocket of people over here experiencing reviving a pocket of people over there, a pocket of people here and there, and there won't be a national awakening. There will not be a city awakening. That this city, as well as all other cities, need it desperately. I'm done. I'm worn out. I go efficient. I'm right now proclaiming that I'm moving into retirement. I need a big offering here this morning to help me in my retirement because I got no amen, I got no shout, no hallelujah. I just, I quit. There's no response. It's just me up here. You know, my I'll, wife. I'll join you up here. <laughs>
my wife.